Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are finishing our series that, man, I feel like I, they, got, they pushed me back. <laughs> I'm all the way in the back. They would make sure you guys don't get spit on, make sure I don't get too crazy, keep me in my box. I can get a little crazy, you know. So um, anyways, I feel a little, but, but I'm going to still yell and scream um, and do what I do. And um, anyways, we are finishing. This is the last installment of our series that we've entitled Substitute Saviors. Have you been challenged have you been blessed? Have you been exposed by this series? Uh, uh, I want to encourage you to go back, uh, whether it's uh, via our podcast at Inspire Churches, um, or you can go check out our live services on YouTube um, and just continue to be fed and rebuked and challenged by all of the substitute saviors that we tend to worship in what I've called or what we've called the economy of idolatry. We live in an economy of idolatry. And as you can see, this will be the last week that you get to see these things. Uh, but we have displayed on every part of the bookshelf external idols. Uh, uh, and I want you to know that these idols don't have power. They're on, they only have the power that we give them. And so part of the recipe uh, during the last five weeks has been to, number one, I want you to see idols. We want you to see idols everywhere. We want, to be, we want you to be ruined by the fact that idolatry is everywhere. And then number two, though, is we want you to not just see the idols without, but discern the idols within. Some of you look at some of these things and say, oh, that's not my idol. Right? We all have different elements that we'll give our lives to in worship. We'll give our money to in worship. We'll give our time to in worship. Amen? Um, and so we want to discern that the idols are without, but we also want to discern the idols within, the idols of the heart, the motivating factors, the deep desires and yearnings, whether it's the need to please people, the need for affirmation, uh, the need to feel safe and secure, the need to feel powerful, the need for whatever it is, those internal things of the heart that are causing these external things to be lifted up above our God, amen? And then finally, once you've discerned the idol within, we want to point to Jesus Christ. We want to point you back to our beautiful Savior who on that cross uh, uh, made a beautiful exchange. He soaked up the full wrath of God on your behalf. And then he gave to you his perfect record of righteousness so that if you would just believe, if you would just put your faith and your hope and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross, you would be able to smash those idols and receive the righteousness of Christ, the robes. Of, you'd be able to exchange our dirty clothes for the perfect robes of righteousness in Jesus. Amen. Well, today is our final installment. And we decided to save politics for last. Uh, this morning, we are going to talk about the idolatry of power in politics. And this idolatry has always been around. And I think for every generation is an important conversation to have. But I think considering what we've been going through in the last several years, and, and in particular the last two years, and where this nation continues to trend, uh, the church needs a wake-up call. Amen? Do you think that? And it's all right if you disagree with me, but I hope by the end of today's message, you'll be able to understand. Many of history's most horrific human atrocities have been the result of political idolatry. I'm going to say that again. Many of history's most horrific human atrocities have been the result of political idolatry. Because man, you and I, we have the proclivity to elevate the creature above the creator. 
Are you with me? That's what idolatry is, is when we take the creator and remove him from his rightful place and replace him with the created or the creature. Are you with me? Because men have the proclivity to elevate the creature above the creator, emperors, empires, kings and kingdoms, nations and presidents have been elevated to the place of substitute saviors. And as a result, these substitute saviors have been endowed with a kind of godlike authority to violate, marginalize, oppress, and murder. And I wish I could say that this was untrue, the history of God's people. I wish I could say that throughout history, the people of God have a perfect record of not being involved in political idolatry. But unfortunately, even though we already have a savior and king in Jesus, history bears the receipts of the church bowing to political idolatry. Germany, once a hub for Western theology. Did you know that? Germany, once a hub for Western theology, the birthplace of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, also produced the Nazi party. And you know, some historians estimate that at the start of World War II, 94% of Germans identified as Christians. Yet, because of political idolatry, a blend of cultural Christianity and Nazi theology weaponized the scriptures, rejected the Old Testament, and claimed Arianhood for Christ. The result, six million Jews and millions of others were murdered in the Holocaust. Rwanda, 1994. It was considered the most Christian country in Africa. Yet, a few days after Easter Sunday, a genocide began that murdered one million people, including 800,000 minority Tutsis by the Hutu government and militia. During this time, both the Hutu and the Tutsis were 90% Christian. And many church leaders in Rwanda were either members of the Hutu government or closely associated. There were reports that Hutu pastors would lure their Tutsi congregants to the church buildings, or they would lock them in. And just a few weeks ago in Russia, the Moscow patriarch, the bishop of the Orthodox Church in Russia, Cyril, he blessed Putin's invasion of Ukraine. He called the invasion a bulwark against the West that he considers to be decadent, particularly over the acceptance of homosexuality. In fact, the bishop and the Kremlin both share a vision of the Ruski Mur or the Russian world linking, are you ready? spiritual unity with territorial expansion. And the list goes on and on and on. From the Western European crusaders murdering the Muslims and declaring Christ, Christos Dominos. To the colonialization of the Americas and the slaughter of the indigenous peoples in the name of the will of God. In fact, Catholic boarding schools, you see a lot about that. A lot of buried, murdered children 
of the indigenous people. From the crusaders, from the colonizers, to the biblical justifications of chattel slavery. Christian men, white supremacy. Bishop and missionary to India, Leslie Newbegin warns the sacralizing of politics, the total identification of a political goal with the will of God always unleashes demonic powers. And whether you lean left or you lean right, you're not immune. History repeats itself. And the church is got bloody hands. Men, you with me? And so before we get into the text, it's a brief text. I want to pray. Did you pray with me? Jesus, I need you. We need you. The church needs you. This world needs you. The nations need you. But we take full rest in knowing that you're sovereign. That nothing happens. Even these atrocities, that nothing happens without your knowledge and without you being above it all, orchestrating what was meant for evil, for good, and for your glory. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 18. I'd love for you to go there with me. If you have your Bible apps, feel free to go there as well. It won't be a very long text, but I'd still love for you to follow. We'll have it for you up here on the screen as well. But if you do have your Bibles, I do want to give you a chance to go there and kind of experience it right there in your own private space. John chapter 18. We're going to read three simple verses. Um, There's so much to be said here, (laughs) but um, I'm going to do my best just to provide. um, I don't even know if I can call this an overview, but nonetheless, um, I want to give you a little context. Easter is coming, and this particular verse, these three verses kind of land right in the middle of uh, the passion um, circumstances, not necessarily the passion, but the circumstances surrounding it, John 18, 33 through 36. Let me give you a little context. Let me set the scene since we're only reading three verses. And, um, but man, these three verses, there's a lot of power in them. Um, Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus has been arrested. He's been interrogated and tried in a kangaroo court. In other words, uh, people have, come, have been paid to bear false witness against him. <clears throat> and now the Jews have turned custody of Jesus over to the Roman authorities. As you know, uh, Israel was occupied by the Romans. Today's lesson will come from a very brief, yet what I, I think is a profound dialogue between Pilate the Roman governor, and Jesus. And I believe that this brief conversation will really help us navigate through some of the murky waters of our own political idolatry. So if you have your Bibles or you're there with us, we have it for you here on the screen. I'd love to just take a moment to read this short dialogue, this exchange between Pilate and Jesus in John 18, 33 through 36. The word of the Lord reads like this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? It's already getting a little political. Jesus answered, I love Jesus. Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Fascinating how Jesus is not giving him an answer. You know what's happening? Jesus is drawing the sin out of man. 
By not making a statement, he's allowing man to, in his own words, overflow of the hearts. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? (laughs) Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And I want you to know, I don't think we understand what's going on here. You have to be really hated by the Jews for them to send you to the occupiers at Rome because they hated the Romans. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, man, that your own people sent you here. You must, have, what, you must have done something really bad. He says, I am a, he says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and treat peace. I've delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now watch. Jesus answered. What did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. Y'all let that sit for a moment. My kingdom is not of this world. Listen to this. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That seems to be an indicator that his kingdom is not of this world. The power dynamics. Notice the power dynamics of the kingdom, right? He says, my, my, he says if we were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Well, let's stop there. I'm going to stop there. Uh, here's what I want to do. Number one is I want to unwrap the geopolitical complexities of this moment and get to the heart or, or the root of this political idolatry. And, and once the heart idol has been exposed... I want to diagnose the symptoms of the surface idol. I want to diagnose the symptoms of the surface idol of political idolatry, right? So we all know that politics can be an idol, but there's a heart that's fueling that. Politics is not a bad thing. Uh, We're not going to end today's sermon by saying don't vote. We're saying is don't elevate it to the place of God. But in order for you not to do that, you have to understand what's going on in your heart. Does that make sense? And so we're going to diagnose the symptoms of political idolatry. And I want you to know when we get there, seatbelts on. This will be uncomfortable. Um, And finally, number three, I want us to admire the beauty and the power dynamics of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So we're going to look at the complexities, the political complexities to hopefully pull up the root. Then we're going to diagnose the symptoms of political idolatry. And then we're going to just look away from the kingdoms of this world and look at the kingdom of God and enjoy and admire the beauty of Christ Jesus. And allow the beauty of how he stewards power to transform us. Amen? Amen. That sound fun? Okay, PSA, public service announcement. If the shoe fits, wear it today. Amen? Today is not about you pointing to your liberal left Christian friend or your conservative right Christian friend. Say, I hope they heard that. Today is about you, wherever you lean, to wear the shoe, okay? And uh, like I said, anytime the Apostle Paul or anytime we see the scriptures where idolatry is being called out, there's always war. There's always panic. There's always anger. There's riots in the book of Acts because people don't like their idols being stepped on. Amen? All right. You ready? Let's get to the heart. Let's get to the heart, the heart idol. But in order to get there, we have to understand the political complexities of this moment. So let's talk about it. In this text, on one hand, we have the Jews personified by the chief priests who were the judicial leaders of the Jewish people. They're the ones who were trying Jesus, interrogating Jesus, pronouncing judgment against Jesus. We could even say, a little bit of a stretch, but in a way, we could even call the Jews I don't know, the conservative right. Very traditional, wouldn't you say? 
very traditional views on marriage. You with me? Uh, a very conservative right group, you could say. But here's the problem. Jesus' ministry of grace threatened to topple their system of legalism. Are you with me on that? Jesus ministered grace, free gift of forgiveness. Uh, uh, But the system that the Jews had created was a works-based, earn-it-based. You see that? And so Jesus' extension of grace threatened to topple their system of legalism. Are you with me? And I want you to know they invested a lot in this system because this system allowed them to experience power. This system allowed them to be influential. This system of religion and legalism allowed the people to look at them and say, wow, look at holy they are. But the system of grace ministered by Christ stripped the Pharisees of their hypocritical reality, exposed their hearts. They were sinners. And so you could see how in order to maintain their power, they had to neutralize the threat. Are you with me this morning? They had to eliminate the threat. What does that mean? They had to kill Jesus. They had to kill Jesus to preserve the system that empowered them. They had to kill Jesus. This is a very political move here. Are you with me? But here's the catch. Here's the catch. They needed Rome's approval to condemn anyone to die because they were occupied by the Romans. Do you see that? You see that? You see the politics in that? And so they know that they can't condemn somebody to die on their own accord, but they actually have to have Roman approval. So you can see they're politicking. They're creating ways to try and kill Jesus. Now, on the other hand, we jump from the Jews to Rome, which is personified by the Roman prefect, Pilate, the governor. Right? I mean, you could say in some ways, a real liberal left, right? Rome, yeah? Idolaters, definitely not traditional understanding of sexuality. They're out there doing their thing. They're, they don't even know who God is. Godless. I mean, I'm just making these stretches here. Stay with me. You with me? Now, here's, here's the interesting thing I want you to notice. By accusing Jesus of claiming to be king of the Jews. I want you to know that uh, um, the Jews knew what they were doing. The chief priests were applying political pressure to Pilate. This wasn't a theological thing. This was a political thing. They were accusing him of being king, of saying he was king of the Jews. They were applying political pressure to Pilate. Why? You see, in any unsanctioned or unauthorized claim to be king posed a threat to Caesar and to Rome. Are you with me? It posed a threat to Rome's interests in the region. You can't have some crazy guy running around unsanctioned, unauthorized by the Roman occupiers calling himself king. It poses a threat to Caesar and to Roman interests. And ultimately, it posed a threat to Pilate, who was under the authority of Caesar to what? Oversee the region of Judea. And so, if there was a man walking around calling himself a king, he threatened the stability of the region. And as a result, he could cause an uprising and an insurrection, and that would look real bad on Pilate. Do you see the political complexities in this moment? But underneath all of these complexities was a simple root, fear. Fear. Fear is powerful, isn't it? Y'all see both Pilate And the chief priests were being motivated by self-preservation. They were afraid to lose 
power. So they use their political capital to try and what? Control outcomes in their favor. Y'all hear that? Some of y'all might be going over it, but I, they use their political capital to try to control outcomes in their favor. And we all do this, yeah. me, myself included. This is why some Christians fight the culture war so fiercely, right? I think Disney's now the, the target, right? Every few months, a rapper says something, a singer does something, an actor says something, an organization does something, and, you know, they're canceled, right? The hypocritical nature of it all, too, right? We got one group saying we don't like cancel culture and then canceling people, and then the other group we don't like it. You know, it's just weird. But we play right into it because it's when high emotion, you know, and sometimes it's low, low it, sometimes high emotion can equal kind of, you know, your, your amygdala takes over. Talked about that back there. Shout out to Rachel. I think we we're talking about kids. I may not. Sorry. I thought I was talking about that, but I, I digress. And I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, there, there, you know, this is why we fight the culture so fiercely, the culture wars. This is why we're even willing to compromise our gospel witness in the name of partisan politics. It's not about service, it's about power. Right, we're talking about the root here, the heart, okay? It's not about service, it's about power. We wanna, what, stay in control because we fear vulnerability, don't we? And because we wanna preserve privilege I do. I mean, if you're a privileged person, don't you want to preserve it? Absolutely. And we all have privileges. I'm not just talking about white privilege. I'm just saying we all have privileges. Just think about privileges. You all have privileges. And when your privileges and your comforts are threatened, you want to do everything you can in your control to preserve that. No one in this room wants to be uncomfortable. No one in here wants to lose privileges that you've worked so hard for. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I know all the words that I'm saying are really politically charged. So it's hard for many of us to even receive because the minute I say the word privilege, all of you are just taking it to its, its current cultural place right now. But I trust the Holy Spirit in this moment. And I want you to know, this is as old as the Garden of Eden. Like humanity is afraid of weakness and dependency on God. Right? I mean, isn't that what Satan tempted uh, you know, it, it tempted him with the fact that you'll never die. You won't die. Right? And that's, I, I, I do whatever I can to escape my vulnerabilities. I, I don't, I, there's, I can eat this and I won't die and I can become what? Like God? So I can have God-like power to control so that I never have to deal with weakness and, and, and my finitude. Are you with me? Yeah. So rather than accept our finitude and dependency on God... We seek to become gods in an effort to control outcomes and preserve power. This is the heart of political idolatry, left, right, wherever you call yourself. Do you feel that? And so this is what's playing out right now. This was playing out. It's Jesus, and Jesus is just asking questions. He's just pulling it all out. Do you see that? <laughs> He's just pulling it all out. Now, here's what I want to do. Now that we know the heart, power, control, fear, I want, to, I want to go from the root to the fruit, right? From the invisible to the visible, what you see, right? And that's really political idolatry. That's the visible thing that we see. We see that displayed. So how can we diagnose the symptoms of our political idolatry? I want to give you four things, four things, four things. How many? Four. <laughs> I'll name them up front. Uh, number one, fear-mongering. Number two, demonizing. Number three, absolute allegiance. And number four, religious syncretism. Now, I'm not as creative as Roger. I couldn't find three S's or three R's, and, you know, but nonetheless, do, deal with my boringness here. Uh, next time I'm going to ask Pastor Roger to kind of mentor me in that, but here it is. Number one, fear-mongering. 
fear-mongering. Remember, we're diagnosing, okay? Can we all examine our hearts today? Can we do it? What a diagnosis is, go in and take a look at the symptoms, and then the symptoms can kind of point to the deeper issue. Let's, let's diagnose this for a minute. Fear, fear-mongering. You know, when our substitute saviors are threatened, we tend to act, as one commentator put it, like cornered animals. Right? I mean, any substitute savior. When that bad boy is threatened, we, we're like cornered animals. Y'all know what cornered animals do, right? Eliminate the threat. Do something drastic. Lie, cheat, steal. I mean, that's what we see the Pharisees, we see the scribes, I mean, we see the chief priests doing in this time. I mean, they're, 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 eliminate, they're willing to do anything to eliminate the threat, even violate their own laws. Interesting, huh, how the system of legalism only works to marginalize people, but the people in power get to do whatever they want, including bear false witness. So let's, let's ask ourselves some questions in order to understand, do we have some of these symptoms? And I'm, I'm just, my hand's raised for all of this stuff. Like, I, you know, I, I want you to know that the thing about being a gospel-centered church, a church that looks at the gospel, is that we all, there's no one in here that could deny their sin. All right, so there's actually very, something very comforting in a way where you can come here and be honest. Like, this, you don't have to pretend, you don't have to fake, well, no, none of that bothers me. Yes, we all are here somewhere. All right. Fear-mongering. Let's talk about this. What kind of political rhetoric are you susceptible to? Think about the people you listen to, the news you watch, the phrases. Are you with me? What talking points do you typically believe? Or are you ready for a better one? What talking points do you typically parrot? Y'all with me? So I want you to um, examine what rhetoric you are most susceptible to. And the way that you can do that is what talking points are you willing to accept as truth? Which ones are you willing to deny as truth? And then which ones do you repeat to your friends and your family at the dinner table? And then you get kicked out or you get in an argument. (laughs) Ah, I love that you guys laughed. I'm not the only one. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Can I just say a couple of things? Do you believe we are fighting for America's soul? Do you believe that your candidate is going to save America? Do you think that the church is in trouble? Okay, well, we got some idolatry in here. Praise God. Do you think that Christianity is in trouble if your candidate doesn't win? And I love that, you know, I love that, and I hear people, and I thank you, people saying no, but does your words, do you say those things, though? No, I don't believe that, but, but do you parrot that when you're in a heated argument? Well, if we don't get them in, then we're going to be in trouble. Just so you know, I've already, I've already used two slogans that's used by both the left and the right. I don't want you to think I'm picking on one space, right? I've heard Biden say this is a fight for American soul. America's soul, yeah. And I've heard the Trump candidates, the, the, the Trump election say, we're, you know, we're saving America. Like, this is God's man. Okay, so just know I'm, I'm an equal opportunist here. Amen? And it's so much more than Trump and Biden, but I'm just, that's just... The easiest fruit. It's low-hanging fruit right there. Do you think that everyone on the right is a racist and fascist? Do you think that everyone to the left is a socialist and Marxist? I can go on and on and on and on and on and on. And you might say, well, no, I don't. But the people that we listen to and elevate... This is the rhetoric that they use. Just know that our current political climate is being ran by fear. Feel that? And go on and on and on and on. Terrorists, rapists, illegals. 
How do you respond when the other team wins? Are you emotionally charged? Do you threaten to leave the country? <laughs> or, or do you criticize and put down those who threaten to leave the country and then turn around and complain and threaten to leave the state? <laughs> so hypocritical. I've heard that from both sides. If so-and-so wins, I'm leaving the country. Oh, I'm going to leave. Good riddance. Goodbye. <laughs> Get out of here. We don't want you here anyways. And then their other person wins. Well, I'm leaving this state. Right. Okay. A lot of commentary today. Here, here's what I want you to know. Political idolatry discards the beautiful truth of God's sovereignty and places an unbiblical expectation on man's responsibility. Listen closely. No matter what the outcome, Jesus won. No? Somebody needs to hear this before the next election. Are you ready? They can take our buildings. They can remove our tax exemptions, imprison our pastors. They can make the bathrooms all gender. But Jesus has still won. And the church is going to be fine. I'm not saying stop voting. I'm saying stop panicking and snarling like a cornered dog. Be joyful. Trust God. Love your neighbor and follow Jesus no matter what side comes into power. Because God is sovereign over it all. He has a secret will, y'all. And even if it's the person that you don't want in, God's will be done and is being done. And so therefore, if it's God's will, it's for the church's good. Because God is more concerned about the church than he is concerned about this country. No? Number two, demonizing. We move from fear-mongering to demonizing. Doesn't political idolatry tend to label elections as good versus evil? Yeah? No? Okay. Cautionary tale. You ready? During the Cold War, Billy Graham mistakenly framed the conflict as the God-fearing Americans versus the godless communists. Y'all remember that? Some of you that are from the Cold War are more susceptible to this kind of rhetoric. So just know that you were raised in that. It was a culture and a climate of that, and so you are actually walking in this. And it's not that you're any worse or less intelligent than the younger generation. The younger generation is just oblivious to what they weren't around when all of that was going on. Are you with me? Billy Graham framed it. The God-fearing Americans versus the godless communist. This flawed thinking not only paved the way for an entire country to be demonized, but it also excused an entire country for its blatant immorality. Graham later repented. Praise God. Praise God for men who could repent. We don't have that. We don't have that, huh? Graham later repented. You know that? You know what he said? Really fascinating. He recalled how elections no longer became about morality and character, but whoever was the toughest on the Soviets, that was God's man. You see how that happens? See how generalizations are made when you frame things like that? God-fearing America, godless communists, and as a result, whoever is hardest and toughest on Soviets, it really doesn't matter, their life, what they say, that's God's anointed. Uh, Demonizing is similar to dehumanizing. Y'all with me? Right, just think about it. In order to hate, to harm, hurt, to kill another person, you have to make them subhuman in order to justify it. Does that make sense? I mean, that's the playbook. The Nazis did that with the Jews, right? They would draw caricatures or pictures of them that made them look almost snarling looking and animal-like. Americans did it to slaves, right? African-Americans, they drew caricatures and pictures and made them look subhuman. Am I right? They even believed it. There was even false sciences going around. 
And this is what pro-choice advocates do to the unborn child. It's not a person or a baby. It's a fetus. And if you can do that, you can give yourself permission. Political idolatry ignores grace and turns us into scoffers and mockers instead. As a result, our witness is discredited and we fail to demonstrate the most fundamental element of our faith, love. This is the sin behind those people who gathered in Christian churches and chanted, let's go Brandon. A slogan that means F you Biden. In fact, I thought about saying the real word F you. I thought about saying F, but I realized that would offend many of you. But yet you're not offended as you post Let's go, Brandon. As you like and comment and you see people gathering in churches who are yelling and describing that. Scoffers, mockers. You know what that is? You know what the scripture calls that? A clanging symbol. Uh, I, I think I'm my father's son. We both don't like loud noises. I learned that when I was a little kid. <laughs> I'm like, ah, he's like, Ooh, you know, and just by default, and you know, he wouldn't even, you know, just, you know, anything loud, right? Loud noises, man, loud noise. You ever sat, you know, and some, you know, even if it's a beautiful little baby, but they're like, Rah! and you're just like, that's just me, okay? Idolatry there. Some of you are beyond that. This generation, you're a little bit more like, hey, it's okay, like relax, it's people's babies, but I, I'm like, there's stuff that goes on in me. I need help, I need therapy. Um, but you know what Christian scoffers and mockers, they're clanging symbols. They're annoying loud noises that discredit their witness. I got to keep going. Number one, fear mongering. Symptoms, 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 symptoms. Number two, demonizing, right? I always feel bad because I feel like I just picked on like you know, the Republicans in the room. I feel like, okay, I got to come. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to go both places here. I'm very hopeful, very hopeful that no one disqualifies me because it feels like I'm leaning one way or another. I promise you, I've tried to weave into this different sides. Thank you, mom. You're always going to say that, though. You're my mom. <laughs> That's why you're here. I love you. <laughs> um, number three. No, I'm serious. Thank you. Uh, at, number three, absolute allegiance. <laughs> Not very creative there. Um, James Mumford calls this package deal ethics. Package deal ethics. Uh, it's actually the opposite of demonizing your opponents. It's deifying your political preferences. Y'all see that, how that works? So I demonize my opponent and then I deify my preference. You see that? Package deal ethics. Uh, First Amendment lawyer, Greg Lukanoff and social psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, calls this ideological, the quest for ideological purity. It, 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 it's an all or nothing game that demands you agree with the total platform of the party. Are you with me there? Or, or you're not part of the tribe. This happens to me regularly. Like I've been called a liberal for speaking out against conservatives and I've been called a conservative for speaking out against liberals, right? All in the same day. This quest of ideological purity is an illusion that disregards the nuances and complexities. Hmm. It makes sweeping generalizations and creates no room for bipartisan dialogue. It's by far the number one driver of our current political polarization that has not only infected the nation, but is infecting the church. It's a limited or partial view of reality that thinks it has the whole picture. That's what an ideology is. An ideology is a limited view and it has some truths but it acts as if it solves all of social's ills, social ills. Free market capitalism, communism, socialism. Are you with me? 
this kind of political idolatry compromises our prophetic voice by discouraging our ability to speak into those systems of corruption and injustice from within. Y'all hear, y'all, y'all hear, you hear that? This kind of political idolatry compromises our prophetic voices. Y'all remember the prophets in the Old Testament? You know what they did? They didn't prophesy against the nations. Most of the time they were prophesying against their own people. Where are the prophets in their parties that are equally concerned or more concerned about the corruption within than without? In fact, if you put down your opponent while turning a blind eye to your own party, you might have some political idolatry. And because of this ideological purity, if you even speak up against your own people, they'll turn on you. Will they? Have you ever did that? They'll turn on you. What are you? What are you saying? And so as Christians, we are called in the political arena to be representations of the kingdom of God. We're called to bring a prophetic voice even to our own preferred tribe. Hmm. Finally, number four, religious syncretism. Jeez, I gotta go fast. You know, this idol series, I've been very long-winded. The kids' men team is sitting in too. They're like, okay, well, 11 o'clock, bro, you better. It's, can I talk to you about religious syncretism? It's an unholy union between the church and a ruling power. And of all the things that trouble me concerning political idolatry, and this is where I'm gonna get a little biased, so I'm just letting you know ahead of time. Uh, uh, The rise of Christian nationalism in the pews of American churches concerns me the most. Just going to put this on deck. Do you believe that America is a Christian nation and that that it has to be kept that way? Have you fused Christianity with American identity? Do you look down on non-Christians, other religions, or those who are not religious and see them as un-American? Do you prioritizing, do you prioritize vilifying them instead of loving them, serving them, and graciously calling them to Jesus? Should I say that again? Do you fuse Christianity with American identity? And do you look down on non-Christians and say they're un-American? And instead of serving them, loving them, and graciously calling them to Jesus, do you demonize them, dehumanize them? It's Christian nationalism. Do, Do you believe that America is a chosen nation? Do you believe America is God's chosen nation? This has been called American exceptionalism, manifest destiny. It's the belief that America is a Christian nation called by God to be a redeemer nation to the people of this world. So we reason to save the world, we have to save America. And we do it not through the gospel, but through proclamation of political power. Do you apply biblical texts meant for Israel or the church to the United States? Or maybe you're like, a lot of you are like, no, no, but do the people you vote for do? Have you conflated American history with redemptive history? English Puritan John Winthrop, who was part of the first large wave of colonists from England, called the American colonies a city on a hill. Y'all with me? He called the American colonies a city on the hill. Mm. And throughout history, American politicians have endorsed that sentiment from Kennedy to Reagan to Barack Obama. Yet, a city on the hill was never a country or a state. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is a city on a hill. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is a holy nation. Are you with me? You might think I'm overblowing this. 
This doesn't happen. Hobby Lobby. You want a little Christian nationalism? They got a whole section for you. Can I read this to you? I believe with all my heart that standing up for America means standing up for the God who has blessed our land. A lie. You see that? You see the conflation? You see the syncretism? You see the blending in of the kingdom and this world? I believe with all my heart that standing up for America means standing up for God. In other words, if you don't stand up for America, you're not standing up for God. Hobby Lobby, y'all. Some of you probably want to take this home. If I didn't preach this message, some of you would have purchased this, put it up there. And it's not that, it's not that you're unintelligent or you don't love Jesus. It's that you're ignorant to the schemes of the enemy. There's a whole section of this. In fact, I, I, I went to buy this and I was just like, oh, gosh. You know, I'm all, you know, people are watching, you know. I'm all, yeah, here. I went to buy some of these things. And I was like. It's for a sermon. It's for a sermon on idolatry. Promise. Uh, do you, do you, and worship team, you can get ready. Do you whitewash America's sins? You whitewash America's sins, right? You know what that means, right? That means do you excuse or ignore the harm that has been done? C.S. Lewis said, to love your country and to even prefer it is not a bad thing, but to whitewash it and deify it is to commit political idolatry. Leslie Newbegin says this, when the church tries to embody the rule of God in the forms of earthly power, it may achieve that power, but it's no longer a sign of the kingdom. Amen? Can we finish? We ready for this finish? Here we go. I want to spend our final moments admiring the kingdom of God. Poor, you know, the kingdom, we probably should have admired him all day, but I feel like I just got to hit all these things, and then, you know, I feel bad for rushing this part, but I really feel like we have to uproot some stuff, but... Uh, I just want to say, I want to admire the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Just let that one stay up there, team. Just, you know, uh, graphics team, just let that thing just sit there and resonate in the hearts of all of us in this room. Jesus said, my kingdom is, is, is not of this world. He says, if it were of this world, my servants would be what? They'd be fighting. They would be fighting. Can I say this? One of the fundamental differences between God's kingdom and this world is the way power is applied. Right. Right. Woo! Yeah. One of the fundamental tips, do you remember in the uh, garden they came to arrest Jesus and what did Peter do? <laughs> Chopped the ear off. What did Jesus do? Put that thing back in there, bro. In fact, you're gonna live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. He didn't say it like that, but I'm paraphrasing. Gospel ghetto, here we go. Listen. Live by the gun, you die by the gun. He said, Peter, don't be ignorant. Don't you know I could just say a word to my father? And what did he say? And I can call down what? Legions. At my word, the father would send legions. You know what that means? Not only would I be able to take out this little party right here, but all of Rome would collapse. And Rome, Rome, Rome was the military power. He says, I could call legions down. Even Rome would fall to its feet. But my kingdom, my kingdom, this was my kingdom. We'd be fighting, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. You see, the world uses top-down authority. It's a top-down approach to securing power in order to coerce and control. This kind of politic achieves obedience through the law and upholds the law by force. And to some degree, Paul says it's okay. Like the ruling authorities, they have the sword, but, but they achieve it through top down. But the kingdom of God is bottom up. The approach is different. It chooses weakness. It chooses sacrifice. This kind of politics is not of this world. And it achieves obedience not by the law, but by love. Not through force, but by choosing weakness and laying down one's life. Am I wrong? This is in fact Jesus' pathway to kingship. This is why he rebukes Peter. And way back in, when Peter, they're walking and Jesus like, the son of man must die. And Peter's like, no, you're never going to die. 
And he says, get behind me, Satan. Why, why? What was, you, what was Peter doing? Unknowingly, Peter was trying to tempt Jesus to attain kingship without having to die. In fact, it goes back to, I got it goes back to the wilderness temptations, right? And that was saying that you can have all you want. Jesus says, no, there's a way that I'm gonna become king, but it's not the way you think. Like I'm gonna ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, not on a war horse like Alexander the Great into a conquered state, but I'm riding on a lowly donkey, humble. Jesus wins the world, not through political or military might, but through the crucifixion. And throughout history, when the church follows the top-down approach, it becomes the source of much death and pain. But when the church looks to Jesus, when the church follows the bottom-up approach, they turn the world upside down. That's Acts, they turn the world upside down. When they have no political power, they didn't get to vote for Caesar. They had no rights. Hmm. Hmm. So what are we to do? We got to take communion. <laughs> what are we to do? What are we to do? What are we to do? Three things. Are you ready? Here we go. Do, do we become apolitical? Stop voting? <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Prayerfully vote. Prayerfully vote. Prayerfully vote. Just don't allow politics to become an idol. That's about as easy as I can say it. How do I do that? Three things. Here it is. Number one. Hold your uh, political affiliations loosely. Make space for other believers to vote differently. I know, we can debate, and if you wanna talk to me, we can have coffee, whatever, we'll talk about how is that possible. And I can, I can reason with you. Hold your political affiliations loosely. Make space for other believers to vote differently. Number two, don't contribute to the noise of the scoffers. Yeah. Don't repost, reshare the noise of the scoffers. Number three, regardless of the outcome, trust God's sovereign plan. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Remain faithful. Demonstrate the sacrificial love of Christ. Do it in your homes. Do it in your cities, no matter the cost. Amen? Amen. Vote. Hold your political affiliations loosely. Don't contribute to the scoffers, regardless of the outcome. Trust in God, endure, love Jesus, love neighbor, no matter the cost. And then in eternity, we'll enjoy a theocracy. But it won't be a theocracy of force and power, but one that has been won through love. And we will all worship King Jesus, who is worthy of all honor and all power and all glory and all praise. And you know who will be in the front row? The martyrs. And you know what? I'll be like, that's okay. I'll take my back row. You, I, I'm okay. There's no jealousy in me. Martyrs, you go up front, lay your crowns down before the king. And I'll be here, and I'll be in this theocracy, and, I, and, I, and it'll be love, no coercion, no manipulation, and I'll worship, but in the front row will be those who laid their lives down. Jesus, we love you. We adore you. You are our king. Theologically and politically, you are the king. You are the king. You are the king. So help us just to represent you everywhere we go. Help us to call people to lovingly call them to repentance help us to represent your kingdom even in the difficult complexities of the voting booth help us to be aware of our what we're susceptible to we have some people here who lean left and are susceptible to sin to voting for sin we have some people who lean right are susceptible to sin codifying sin we all come to the table broken we all admit that none of our platforms, we all know this, none of our platforms are the kingdom. And the kingdom of God isn't the middle. It's not the right, the left, or the middle. It's above. So just, we don't have to be perfect, but just help us to navigate prayerfully, honestly, according to your word. I pray Inspired Church would be a beacon of hope in the Bay Area, 
a beacon of the righteousness of Christ, love, peace, joy. And so, Lord, I just pray that you be with us as we leave this place. Thank you for this entire series that has reshaped and shifted and called us lovingly to repentance. And thank you for you, your son, Jesus, thank you for you. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on this cross and who reigns in heaven. And one day we'll be with him forever and ever and ever. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Inspire family, thank you for being graciously receptive to this series. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless. God bless. Easter Sunday is coming. And so invite somebody and let's, let's have a good time together. Amen.